Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. After hearing Brother Bishop preach this weekend and challenging us on the subject of this being a continued house of bread, immediately this week went to the book of Ruth because I was so captivated by all that he he shared with us, and I want to do some basic elementary expository teaching tonight, uh, and I'll just simply call it Lessons from the Book of Ruth. I believe that God is going to talk to us tonight through His Word, and uh, the Book of Ruth is immediately followed, or it follows the Book of Judges. After reading the book of Judges, which paints a dark and depressing picture of Israel, the book of Ruth is a relief to read because it gives a good example of kindness, faith, and patience. The book of Ruth was one of the five scrolls that was read during the Jewish festivals, especially during the festival of weeks, which is also called in the New Testament, the day of Pentecost. So, I'm sure it will not only be interesting to me, but also you. When the Holy Ghost fell in Acts chapter 2, they had either just read or was in the process of reading the book of Ruth. Somebody say Ruth. Uh, and you know, when I began to read it afresh this week, it became a, a extremely encouraging to me because as we read through the book of Ruth, as you study the book of Ruth, I believe that there is a good chance that God could give us another Pentecost in our city and in our church as we study and we read the book of Ruth. Many people would think that since the name of the book is called Ruth, then Ruth was the author of the book, but that's not the case. As a matter of fact, we are not 100% sure who wrote the book. However, many believe that Samuel the prophet most likely would be the author. The book of Ruth was written sometime after 1010 BC. And this is what makes the Bible so awesome. Is we can take a writing from 3,000 plus years ago and apply it directly and intentionally to our lives today. The book of Ruth, although it may be a short book, only four chapters, but it shows how God uses people in amazing ways. So, if you have your Bibles, if not, look on the screen. The Bible says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a, everybody say, famine. Famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He, everybody say this because it's very important. He, his wife, and his two sons. Very important. 
he, his wife, his two sons, the whole family. So I don't want to get in too big of a hurry here, but I know time is not my friend on first family, but we will go somewhere as we unpack this. There's so much in this verse number one, and we often overlook the first phrase, when judges ruled. What does that mean? What does that mean to you and I? To fully understand that verse, you got to go to the last verse of the previous book, which is the book of Judges. So when you go to the last verse of the book that introduces basically Ruth, we find in Judges 21-25, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And some of the most convicting and thought-provoking words for us tonight are, Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That phrase, when judges ruled, leapt out to me as I began to, to study this. And then I began to look. What that means was that when men did what was right in their own eyes, they set up their own rule. They set up their own law. They judged what seemed right to them, they had no king, they had no government, they had no, th- uh, they had no authority, if you will. And God had allowed them to try to find their way on their own. Now, I want you to hear me tonight, that as your pastor tonight, almost 13 years, anytime we reject the rule of God's Word, and God's way, then we are setting ourselves up to do what is right in our own eyes. And the reason many times, if not all the time, the reason why people reject the rule of God, they reject His Word and His way, is because it's contrary to what they wanted to do in the first place, and because they wanted to do what was right in their own eyes, they reject God's way so they could without guilt do it their way. Does that make sense? I'll call it, and I've said this many times, I know I sound like a broke record, but please indulge me tonight. This is what I call the Frank Sinatra approach to Christianity. I did it my way. But my way is so opposite of God's way. And I can't have it my way and even be a Christian. Because my way is what disqualified me in the first place. So I have to be willing to crucify my way, decrease my way, and to learn His way. I ought to get a witness about right now. If we were to be honest on this first family, every one of us in this sanctuary, when we have allowed our flesh to make us do things our way, we would have to admit that we ended up worse off than before we started. Because the problem with all of this is that our ways are flawed. Our ways are carnal. Our ways are sinful in nature. We cannot do what is right in our own eyes and it stay right. 
Even on our best days, our flesh will always drift toward worldliness. On our best day, our flesh will always begin to drift toward carnality. Even when we don't want to do certain things, uh, that constant ebb and flow of carnality is going to pull at you. It's going to pull at I don't care who you are. I don't care how many hours a day you pray. I don't care if you fast till your belly button falls off. You got to still deal with that flesh. You still got to deal with that flesh every day you get up. Every day. The prophet Jeremiah said it like this, and this must be one of the most fearsome scriptures in the whole Word of God. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But then here, here we go with the, with the question of all questions who can know it? If there's no, well, I'm so glad it's First Family Wednesday. I get to pastor you just a little bit and pastor us as a family. Don't you love doing, doing life with those around you? If there's no rule in the church, there's no Bible standards preached in the church, there's no holiness guidelines taught in the church, if there are no lifestyle changes expected in the church, if there's no pastor in a church and there's no figure of authority in the church, I don't care how much money that particular church has, how gifted that church is, I promise you that when we begin to take matters in our own hands and judge ourselves and rule ourselves, then we will always end up in places that we never thought we would end up at. I know too many. Well, I'm just going to let holiness go. I'm going to compromise the separation. I'm going to compromise. And compromise leads us down a slippery slope till there is now no longer a separation or distinction in sexes. Now we're one. Uh, it, it used to be the birds and the bees. Now it's bees that want to be birds and birds want to be bees. I'm going to get plain with us tonight. Y'all just buckle up. Uh, that's why we need to thank God. And I humbly say this. I take a lot of shots. I take a lot of uh, shots from carnal people that poke fun for taking a righteous stand. We take a lot of, we take a lot of flight. We may not be the biggest church in town. But if I can get you to heaven... If I can preach to you doctrine, if I can preach to you the truth of God's Word, I thank Brother Paul, I thank Sister Ann for taking a stand over 50 now, three years ago, and not letting down on a, on a message of holiness and separation and the oneness of God, the, the repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I thank God for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're not here to win friends and influence people. We're here to get you to heaven. We're, I'm, I'm here preaching tonight to get us to heaven. The people of God at this particular season of life did not want God to rule them. And did not want God's man to rule them. And did not want to submit to God's way. So they demanded freedom. But ended up. You ready for this? With a famine. 
Let me say this again. They demanded freedom, but ended up in a famine. Now remember, this is over 3,000 years ago, and yet the same thing still happens today. People would rather do it their way instead of God's way. They would rather be their own pastor than to submit to a pastor. They would rather live their life according to what feels good to them and to what pleases them. Don't tell me, pastor, what I can watch and what I can't watch. Don't tell me what I can wear and what I can't wear. Don't tell me what, what I allow my kids to do or not to do. But listen to me. Listen. Believe me now or believe me later. They added, this attitude is a dead end road that ends with destruction and death. I don't know about you, but I don't want, it, I, I don't want to do it my way. I don't want to try to live off of my flesh. I don't want to, 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 to gripe at the commandments of the Lord. I don't want to be at odds against the standards of the church. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 John 5 and 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. You know, Brother Spark, this ain't grievous to me. Living for God's not an issue for me. Submitting myself to my pastor, Pastor Wayne Huntley, that's not a big deal to me. I do it with honor. I do it because I want to, because I know it's what's right. Reading the Bible and praying are not a burden to the people. Like, oh, I just got to get up and read my Bible. I just got to go to church. I gotta live this way. Oh, I'm gonna get somebody. I just gotta pay my tithes. If I don't, pastor's gonna call me out. You know, paying my tithes, giving my offerings, supporting missionaries, those are things I don't regret and I don't ever begrudge. I don't, I don't want to do this my way. I want to do this. God's way. I don't want to experience a famine. I want to experience God's favor. Well, let's keep going. The plow's deep tonight. I want to read one more passage of Scripture out of Psalms. I hear people say all the time, I don't know how Christians live the way they live. I don't know how you Pentecostals do what you do. I don't know why they refrain from doing certain things and why they dress certain and why they behave in a certain way. Well, you, you ought to just be able to do whatever you want to. No, you can't do whatever you want to. You're not even your own. You've been bought with a price. He bought you with His blood. He's got the right to tell you what to do and what not to do. I, I, it's just that plain and simple. Psalm 16 and 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. One translation said beautiful inheritance. The boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. Let me tell you. I'll tell you this. The lines that I live my life within. The boundaries that I pastor within, they're pleasant to me. They give me a beautiful inheritance. There's something that I can lead your family with. They've just fallen in the right place. 
they've, they've fallen in pleasant places. When we try to live outside the lines of where God would have us live, you're setting yourself up for failure. You know, I find the most, it gets frustrating living for God when we're straddling the lines. It's fallen in a pleasant place. The line has fallen in a pleasant place. But when I try to straddle, if I can just get close, is that, how much can I get away with and still go to heaven? And we live a miserable life. We live a miserable Christianity. We live a life that has no joy, has no fulfillment, has no purpose because we're so busy trying to live so close to the world. When God's calling us to be a separate people, a consecrated people, people called out from darkness into His marvelous light. So let me get back to, let me get back to Ruth. Ruth 1 and 1. Gives us the example, doing it our own way will always produce famines. And what makes a famine so dangerous is that it exposes and breeds, oh God help me to convey my heart, a sense of desperation in our flesh that we most always end up making wrong decisions. The Bible is full of people who made drastic and dangerous decisions during seasons of famine. And we don't have to talk about all of them, but when we look at the book of Ruth, notice in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judea, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he, his wife, and his two sons. Notice with me what happens during a famine. You leave places that you should have never left. A man his wife and two sons are packing their bags to leave their home because of a famine. A famine they are enduring because of people wanting to do it their own way. They are willing to leave Bethlehem, Judah. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. Judah means praise. Bread in Scripture is symbolic of the Word of God we just heard on Sunday. They are in a good place. Somebody say a good place. They are in the house of bread. They are in a place of praise. And yet the house experiences a famine. This reminds me so much of the day that we are living in today. The prophet said it like this in Amos 8 and 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. It doesn't say there was a famine of preachers preaching the word. It says there would be a famine of people hearing the word. We must keep bread in this house. We must keep worship in this house. I was making bread 
on Monday. I was making bread on Tuesdays. I finished the loaf on Wednesday to bring to this congregation fresh bread, hot bread. Why? Because we cannot in a season of famine. God forbid that this end time generation, in this end time generation, that we pack up our doctrine, pack up our worship, pack up our lifestyle, and go to Moab, and go to the world, and go looking for a cheap substitute. Not on my dead body. The devil is a lie. As long as I'm your pastor, there's going to be bread in this house. There's going to be worship in this house. There's going to be anointing in this house. I refuse to come in on a Wednesday night and it not be hot bread. I refuse that it not be praise on our lips. Woo! Somebody shout yes. We cannot in a season of famine, church, we cannot pack up and leave and think that's going to fix our problem. If we will remain obedient, if we will remain faithful, if we will keep preaching and reaching, hear me, we've lived this, guys. We've lived this, family. Even while others are experiencing a famine. Even while other churches are shutting their doors. Even while other churches can't pay their bills. We'll sow and give more money than we've ever given. We'll see more increase come in because of what we have done in a season of inflation at an all-time, in our modern generation, in this generation, at an all-time high. Gas prices soaring to all-time highs. But we just gave more than we've ever gave to missions. God's blessed your homes. God's blessed your businesses. God's blessed you on your jobs. You can't tell me this ain't right. You can't tell me living for God ain't the best life out there. How can you say that? Because I live by the word. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. It's by His Spirit. I believe God can give a harvest in the middle of a famine. I believe God can give you a raise in the middle of layoffs. I believe God can promote you when they're talking about shut, shutting the doors. Even in the midst of all hell breaking loose. Don't ever forget whose you are. Don't forget who's. You'll be the last ones on the job. You'll be the last ones that leave. You'll be the ones they just hanging on to and wonder, my God, I don't know how we're making it. Well, I can tell you, God's put you as a seed in the middle of that company, in the middle of that place that you're working, and you're the blessing that's being a blessing under that company, and they don't even know it. If God is in control, and God is still on the throne, if God be for us, who in the world can be against us? Who can be against us? My goodness. Let's keep reading. We ain't even got off verse 1. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. 
I want you to understand this. Here's a picture of just one family. This is just one family. I'm sure of many who did what was right in their own eyes. And in their own eyes, they thought it was time to move. We don't see the recording of that. We just get a snapshot and a panoramic picture of Ruth. We just get it. We just get this panoramic view of Naomi and Elimelech and their two sons. In their own eyes, they couldn't see another solution. In their own eyes, this seemed to be the logical next step. In their own eyes, it made sense at the moment. And I prayed this afternoon, God deliver us from our own eyes. If God would deliver us from our own eyes, and we could start operating in a realm of faith, we could live truly the Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. If we could start living, Sanctuary Community Church, living and doing, if we start living and doing what's right in our own eyes, we will always end up with a moving truck running around to something. We'll have a, huge, a spiritual U-Haul staying in our front driveway. Moving here, trying this. Bought a new car, that didn't fix it. Bought a new house, that didn't. Got a new job, that didn't fix it. We're trying to find peace and contentment and happiness in things. And when things can't fix it, we go to the next thing and we go to the next thing. God did not create us to get attached to things. He did not create us to draw that affection and that joy that can come only from Him. It'll never come from anything else. Divorces are at an all-time high. You want to know why? Because men and women are trying to find fulfillment in and, in and of itself through somebody else. But when that one don't work, let's go to the next one. We're going to find it eventually. And before long, we've just, the forbidden land of Moab looks better than Bethlehem, Judah. They don't have a king. That must be where we need to go. Everything looks good in Moab. Seems weird to me that people are so quick to leave the house of bread and praise. To go dwell in a pagan land where the economic outlook looks brighter and better. What always seems to be a temporary fix has a way of turning into a long-term future. When you look at verse number 2, there are a few words that stood out to me as I read these. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. This is how I read this verse. They came into the country of Moab to satisfy their hunger. They were in a famine. But once their hunger was satisfied, they continued there. They just stayed there. The reason why I say that is because the word continue in the original Hebrew means to abide. Many people say these words. I'm only going to step out of the church just for a little season. Just going to take a little break. I'm only, going to miss, I'm only going to miss this next Sunday. I'm going to miss Sunday school one week. I'm going to miss worship service. Uh, I'm, not going to, I'm going to put my trust in other things just to get out of this famine. I'm going to stop paying my tithes to, to get out of a financial crunch. 
I'm not going to support Move the Mission or Christmas for Christ because I can't afford to do that right now. And before you know it, it's two years down the road and you're still continuing there. You've actually bought property and real estate and now you're abiding where you were only supposed to go and get food during a famine. What was supposed to be only like a drive through fast food experience has become a sit-down for dinner and you can't, afford, you can't afford to pay for it. Here's the dangerous thing about going places and dwelling in places that God has instructed us not to go. Not only does the word continue mean to abide, but it also means to become like. You will become like anything or anybody that provides for you in your moment of need. I'm going to say that again. You will become like anything or anybody that provides for you in your moment of need. They went to Moab, and what did they do? Become like Moab. If you love this world, you will become like this world. If this world is where you get your nourishment, then you will become like this world. But Pastor, that's just so great. That's so... Just trust me. I'm, your, I'm the watchman tonight on the wall. That's why the Bible teaches us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because, why does he tell us not to love the world? Because you will become like where you are. That's why I think coming to church is so important. I ought to get about four or five good amens about right. Why? Because you will become like where you are. That's why getting involved in finding a place to serve in the local church is so important. That's why getting your kids to youth events and activities are important. Let me just say this in passing. I would rather live hungry and destitute where God wants me to be than to be fat, full, and satisfied in the land of the enemy. I'd rather know I raised my kids in church and they were at every event. I was involved to the max that I could get involved in. I would rather lay my head on my pillow at night knowing that. And I can lay before God and give an account for my family. What they do later in life, that's, I raised them right. We've trained them right. But I can stand before God. There wasn't an event they missed. There wasn't a church service that they wasn't at. They're, they were involved. They were engaged. They served. I want that to be. Why? Because I love this place so much. I want my kids to be just like this place. I want my kids to say, this is where I can run, Daddy. This is where I can run and be safe. I, I don't care where they go. I don't care what they've done. This be the place they can come and find a place of safety. Let me tell you what happened next. Remember, you will become like where you are. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah. 
in the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there ten years. The Word of God teaches certain things for a reason. And listen to the commandment of God to His people. In Deuteronomy chapter 7. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter shall not give unto his son. Nor his daughter shall thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me. That they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you. And destroy thee suddenly. The Moabite women had a reputation for leading Israelites astray after strange gods. There is a reason. There is a reason why mamas and daddies, you need to guard your babies against allowing them to date people outside of the church. I don't want, I don't want after all the effort that we have put in, for some dude to turn her away from serving God. I know this ain't popular preaching. But 2 Corinthians 6.14 be, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? This doesn't just refer to who you date or who you marry. It also refers to who you have connections with. That's why, that's why we can't be connected to certain people. You know why? Somebody's going to leave. Somebody's going to leave. Someone's going to influence the other. Because how can two walk together except they agree? Do I have any mamas and daddies still in the house tonight? Parents, guard who your children and kids are around. Know who they're spending the night with. Know who your kids in the neighborhood are and who they're hanging out with. I'm going to even get real close. Know who your kids hang out with in the youth group too. You might be surprised. You have an obligation to your children, mama and daddy, to protect your children. The enemy would love to expose them to all manner of filth and perversion. It would blow your mind the things that happen going to visit this one, going to this house, going to this friend, and a daddy be there, or an uncle be there. I'm not making this stuff up. Ruth 1 and 5, and Malon and Chilion died also. We're, we're just in the first five chapters of Ruth. And the women was left of her two sons and her husband. She has now lost her husband. She has lost her two sons. Hear me tonight. When you dwell where God told you not to dwell. When you do things that God told you not to do. You will always lose things that you love along the way. It's dangerous to backslide. You always pay a price that's far greater than you want to pay. Anybody, got, anybody in here a witness of that? I could put both feet because I've lived what I'm preaching. I'm not just preaching something I pulled off the internet. I'm just telling you the price of backsliding is far greater than what you want to pay. 
And I'm trying to help somebody under the sound of my voice tonight. Maybe you're going to watch this online or hear it on a podcast. I'm trying to help you tonight. The price tag connected to backsliding is far greater than you want to pay. Verse number 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. I thank God for chapter or verse 6. I thank God for the words that she might return. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for a God that will let us return. I don't know what kind of mistakes that you've made. I don't know what kind of dumb situation you may be even in tonight. But hear me. You can return. You can return. Why? Because there's a revival in Moab. I said, there's, I'm preaching to somebody tonight. You don't have to stay in the pig pen. You don't have to stay in the far country. You don't have to remain a backslider. His grace and mercy can help you return. God's mercy can help you. Let me tell you, I just told you there's a high price tag. But I can tell you the grace and mercy of God will help you with that. The grace and the mercy of God will help you swallow your pride. It will help you humble yourself and you'll be able to walk righteously before God in mercy. Verse 7. She went forth. Verse 7. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. I know this is going to sound simple. But the end of verse 7 is the goal. However, the beginning of verse 7 is the steps that will make that goal happen. The goal is always to return. But the way you do that is to follow the beginning. She went forth out of the place where she was. To get where she needed to be, she had to leave where she was. Nothing has changed today in order for us to get to where God would want us to be. We've got to be willing to leave where we are. And sometimes that's the hardest part, leaving where we are. Because we usually like where we are. Trip to Moab to Bethlehem would have been between 60 and 70 miles. It would have taken approximately 7 to 10 days. It would have required them to cross the Jordan River and to climb the 2,000 plus feet in elevation required to reach Bethlehem. If you climb, it, Listen to what I discovered. If you have to climb the mountain coming back, then that means you just had to descend to leave. It's always easier to leave the church than it is to come back to the church. It's always easy to go out those swinging doors and go do what you want to do and, and backslide. It's easy to walk out. But the hardest steps you'll ever take 
is from your bedroom to your closet, and from your closet and, and, and to that steam or that iron, and that, from that iron and that front door to your car and that car to those front doors to walk in this place. It always takes less energy to backslide than it will to slide back. And because of this climb to get back, it would have been easy to stop short of the city. But they continued until they were where they were supposed to be. Repentance is the same way. You can't stop until you've come all the way back. You can't stop until you've come all the way back. I had a man, I had my pastor tell me, musicians come, move very gently and quietly to your place. was in a season of my personal life. It was probably at an all-time low. Me and my wife sat in an office. I'm being very transparent. I'd made dumb and foolish choices and decisions. I had my pastor look me eyeball to eyeball. Son, if you walk out of this door, you don't make things right today, you'll die lost. It was the most broken I'd ever been in my life. I tried to do things my way. I tried to live a double life. I described myself the great pretender. On the inside, I was a broken man. On the inside, I had played the part of a fool. But it was that day in that office, I got on my hands and knees, and I begged God. I begged God to forgive me. I begged God to help me. I had a pastor on one side of me and I had a wife on the other side of me. There was a breakthrough in that office. Kneeling at that chair, I still see it. It was a road of repentance that I had to walk. When I went home that day and I sat across our living room and I began to repent. I repented in that office, but when I got home and it was just me and my wife, I said, there's things I need to talk to you about. There's things I need to share with you. And I went all the way back to my childhood. I went to things that I had that had happened to me as a child that I had never processed. And the road that I walked that day, probably one of the hardest roads I've ever walked. But it was the road of repentance that led me to a victory that day. It started something in my life that I didn't have to walk with my head held down any longer. I didn't have to walk wondering who was going to try to find me or kill me. I didn't have to walk ashamed because there was no stone left unturned. There was no channel in my brain, no channel in my mind that I had to deal with. I was trying to hide this or trying to hide that or trying to do this. No, 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 no. I just finally got it all out. 
And I'm away with the lies, away with the fraud, away with trying to do things my way. And it was the love of a pastor. It was the love of a man, Charles Shear, that watched me from that moment mature with a call on my life. Knew that there was a call on my life and invested and said, you can do this, you can rise, and I'll never forget. He came to me and he said, son, I just got a call. Somebody wants you to come preach. I'd only led service. I'd done very little public ministry. And it was that, it was that, it was that youth conference, a small local church youth conference, that God did something. It started there in the next several, several years. There was great healing and restoration. Ministry was birthed and formed and began to evangelize. And I didn't understand then everything I had been through, everything that I had experienced was to bring me to a place to help the broken, to help those that have fallen. And yes, the road was tough. And the road was long. But I stand before you tonight to tell you without one shadow of a doubt that I'd do it all over again if it would produce what God's done in this room right here and what God's done in our home and our family and in our lives. I'd do it all again. That's why I preach with such passion and such mercy and grace why I preach with such determination because I'm trying to prevent some of you from having to walk the long road that your pastors had to walk. You may not understand it all today, but if you'll listen and submit, it could save you some heartache. It could save you some long, long... It could save you a trip to the divorce court. It could save you a trip to the mental insane asylum. It could save you from a long laundry list of medications that you take to just try to coexist in a world that's so cruel. Unrepented ways will cause you much grief and sorrow. But when you submit yourself to God, when you submit your ways to the King of Kings and you return to the house of bread, when you return to the house of worship, when you return to your first love, are you as excited today as you was the day you got the Holy Ghost? Are you as passionate today as you was when you first found truth? Or has it wavered a little bit? Has it become a grudge? Has it become a, a burden? You lost your zeal. Where's your passion at? Where's your excitement at? Have you hung your testimony as a harp and a willow? As you stand to your feet tonight, there's a call coming to this altar. It's first family. There's a call. That's Moab. 
this is Bethlehem, Judea. You may be in a spiritual Moab. You're not physically there. No. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about spiritually. You've contemplated backsliding. You've contemplated just, I ain't doing this anymore. I ain't living like this anymore. I'm just, it really ain't worth it. I've tried to do what's right. My kids are doing this. I've, I've tried to live. Don't stop living for God. Because there's a revival in Moab. God's waking up prodigals. God's waking up backsliders. But will you be here to welcome them home when they get here? Will you be here when Ruth comes? Will you be here when Naomi arrives? Deep down, the journey was rougher on Naomi than it was Ruth. Because Ruth, every step she took, I shouldn't have left. I regret we ever left. There were funerals she had to attend. That was in it. They were not intended to happen. There were sons that she had birthed that she had to bury in Moab. She came home bitter. But Ruth, oh, Sister Ruth, Sister Ruth was the byproduct what I would maybe we call it disobedience divine providence call it what you may there was a price tag attached to Ruth but because she made that journey back to Bethlehem when she got to Bethlehem something began to move and something began to shake this little girl began to glean in the field she began to work she began to do Brother Boaz began to recognize there's something different about this girl. There's something different about her. And a relationship with Boaz would be forged and formed. And if you look at the lineage of Jesus Christ, we can credit Ruth, but I'm going to credit Naomi. Naomi gets the credit for making that long walk back to Bethlehem, Judea. I'm looking for a mama tonight. I'm looking for a daddy tonight that'll say, you know what, Pastor? I'm going to take that long walk back to Bethlehem, Judea. And I'm going to see the next generation affected because of my obedience. It was one thing for Naomi to hear there was bread. It was one thing for Naomi to know there was bread. But it was another thing for her to say, come on, girls, let's go. Let's go. I've had enough of this. Been here 10 years too long. She would begin to walk into that city broken. But oh, the future that was being prepared because of one act of obedience. But there be a response right now into the front of this church. Some of you right now, you need to walk to this front and in this altar service. This team is going to sing a song that I've requested. It's an old song. But listen to the words.
Some of you need a prayer. Pray that prayer. Take me back, Lord. walking in there's joy coming to you when you get on this journey take me back Lord oh take me back nothing worth staying in Moab there's not, nothing worth staying in Moab oh but you can you can make that journey back there's a revival there's a revival in Moab oh, take me back Lord To the place where I invested your passion where have you invested your energy what's got you distracted what happened along the way what happened along the way did you get offended did somebody say something or do something did you go through a bitter situation I can tell you like the prophet prophet told that little boy he had barred the axe and the axe head fell into the it fell into the river but the man of God the prophet of God told that young man that was working where did it fall in take me to the place that it fell in take me to the place take me to the place if I, could, if I could encourage somebody in this room right now. I'm not saying a physical place. Take me to the place. Take, go to the place where it derailed. Go to the place where, where it all, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, financially. Go to the place. I'm just going to speak a prophetic word. If you'll go to that place, what you thought was lost, will begin to float to the surface. What you thought was over will begin to come. That little man had barred that axe and that axe handle, that axe head had fell into that water and it was, man, that was a ways of making money. It was the way, it was a means of provision, but he had lost it. But when he took him to the place and the man of God spoke the word, that, that axe head just began to float. It began to float in the water. Things that you thought were dead are about to come alive. Things that you thought it was over, God's getting ready to resurrect. That call, that gift, that ministry, that marriage, those children, 
those prodigals, they're coming home. Would you lift your hands right now upon the authority of the word and in the name of Jesus. God, I take these people tonight to the place. I take them to the place, God. They're going right now in their mind. They're going right now to the place that things begin to move and shift. I take them to that distraction. I take them to that moment. I take them to that decision. But God, right now in the name of Jesus, I prophesy to every lost thing. I prophesy to everything that appears to be lost and over. I prophesy begin to swim, begin to rise to the surface. That call of God, that song in your spirit, oh God, that involvement, that passion, let it rise. Take it back. Take it back. Take it out of the water. Take it. God's getting ready to use you. God's getting ready to use you, sir. God's getting ready to use you, ma'am. God's getting ready to use you, young person. God's going to that abusive situation. God's going to that moment when you were a child and you were, you were taken advantage of. God's speaking life in the midst of the crisis. God's speaking life. It's getting ready to get swimming. I don't think it's by accident. I don't think it's by accident that the axe head floated in water. And the Holy Ghost is referenced. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living. Some things just have to rise to the surface and then flow out of you. There's some deep grudges. There's some deep offenses. There's some deep hurts that you need to let rise to the surface. Deal with it and let it go. It's been buried. But the moment you let it rise to the surface and let it go, the Holy Ghost is going to start flowing out of you. You're going to begin to do things you never dreamed. There's going to be joy like a river flowing out of you when you deal with the dysfunction, when you deal with the things that the enemy, the Bible's, what the enemy meant for harm, God meant it for good to save many people alive. If I hadn't have been through what I've been through, you may not be here. To, you may not be here. To, you, I could go around there if I hadn't have been through what. So you know what? I don't look at my past in condemnation. But I look at it. It's a testimony of God's grace. It's a testimony of God's mercy. It's a testimony. If it happened for me, it can happen for you. And I've come to let the devil know there's bread in the house. There's restoration in the house. There's a song in the house. There's worship in the house. Whatever you have need of, it's in this house. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you right now, Lord, to seal this word in every heart. And as individuals process things from this night, as things are dealt with in the spirit,